great special offers in Dublin this June. Look no further than the award-winning Castleknock Hotel and Country Club. With an on-site golf course and day spa and rates starting from as little as €30 Euro per person sharing, Castleknock Hotel is perfect for a short breakaway. For more information, visit castleknockhotel.com or call 01640-6300. Can you uh, tell us anything about that, Mr. Cole? Looks a lot like the one from 95, but well, you knew that already. Yeah, it is specifics, consistent to the 95 case. Details they weren't public knowledge. You were off the grid for eight years, right? Show back up here 2010. My question is, how could it be him? If we already caught him in 95. Well, indeed, detectives. I figured you'd be the one to know. And start asking the right fucking questions. I will 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 start asking the right fucking questions. Holy cow. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, you down with the clown screedlers. I am so sorry for the brief delay this week. But let's be honest, you got two episodes last week and this shit is free. We traveled down to the Juggalo March on Washington this past weekend. So it has taken us a little bit more time than usual to get this week's episode online. But let me tell you right off the fucking bat, it is an extra special one. It is delicious. It is thoughtful. It is totally randy. We've got a fantastic guest this week. He is an artist. A DJ. A meme maker. A meme philosopher. A friend. A comrade. His name is Pastiche Lamumba. And if you aren't following him on Instagram I honestly don't know what the fuck you are doing with your life. This was a long conversation, and we absolutely have to invite him back to do a second part to talk about the state of satire in contemporary art and comedy. You want it to happen. We want it to happen. It is going to happen. Let me turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney, to get this thing going already. I love you. Please visit the blog and read Sean's long-form report on the experience that he and Michael Welsh had with the amazing community of jugglers that marched on Washington, D.C. Whoop whoop. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 18 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. And today I'm in the studio with a pal of mine, the artist, the curator, the DJ, the meme scholar, the many things, but the one and only Pastiche Lumumba. And uh, we're just going to get right into this thing here. So Pastiche, welcome to Humor in the Abject and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Sean. This is great. Yeah, I've been meaning to have you on for quite a bit of time. Um, how's the week been treating you? The week's been nice. I just uh, moved into a new apartment. Um, been working. You know, got some plans for the spring, teaching classes, 
uh, you know, life is going, life is going well. My older sister, my oldest sister is in labor right now. Whoa, what? Yeah. Do you need, to, is this okay? No, she's in Orlando. Okay. But there's not, not really much I can do about that. <laughs> okay, Jesus. Um, so you, uh, you came to New York just over a year ago. Correct. A little over a year ago and moved here. Um, and I wanted to talk about your time in Atlanta and stuff that you're doing there too. But first, just to get a little list of the other places that you've called home, because you've got a pretty unique list. Yes. I think as far as how people's, you know, I lived in Michigan and then Arizona. And then, like, <laughs> but uh, I too am from Michigan. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, my, my parents my, their, and their families, they both grew up in Panama. Uh, I never lived there. But just some background about, you know, my, my uh, heritage. Um, but I was born in Zimbabwe uh, and left there as a baby. Uh, so I don't remember anything about Zimbabwe. Grew up in Houston, Texas from one to seven and then moved to Tanzania where I stayed until I was 12. So I was like probably like fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Then to South Florida, Fort Lauderdale-ish sunrise um, for a year or two, and then moved to Atlanta uh, in the middle of middle school, and have been there since, or had been there since, you know, since middle school to after college, and just moved here a year ago. Were you all moving around for like work that your folks were doing, or not really? My parents were like Afrocentric; they were the uh, the hippies, I guess, of their families. Okay. If you could call them hippies, probably hippies is not the right word. They were just like the the alt. Sure. Yeah, the alt siblings. Nice. They're just kind of taking the kids around to a lot of different places. Yeah. You have, so you have an older sister who's in labor. Yes. Do you have other siblings? I have six sisters. Whoa. Yeah. One you, younger. Okay. And you're the only brother. Only brother. Wow. That's an interesting mix. I have two. I have two sisters. They're both younger than me. But that sounds like that sounds like a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> Still is a lot. <laughs> um, you went to Atlanta in uh, like middle school time, and then you were hanging out there and doing art things and stuff like that. And I'm curious what sort of kept you grounded there for a while instead of like a lot of people get that bug. You know, I got to move to some other like art central city. But I don't know if you came to art later or if that was just something that you were kind of like, this makes sense. I have family here. Um, so yeah, I grew into my adulthood there and went to college there just as a matter of fact, you know, those was like all my sisters went to college. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go to college and get a job or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I went to college, um, thinking I was going to do computer science. I went to Georgia state with a plan to transfer to Georgia tech after a year, like do my intro courses, mm-hmm. uh, and then go to Georgia tech for like engineering or uh, what is it, um, industrial design or some shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I failed calculus. I don't even know what calculus is. Twice. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> I've never taken it. Not uh, even in high school. I took it in high school. I took AP calculus in high school, and I was like, like I get the concept, but I just don't, I don't have time for like doing calculations unless it matters. So if I'm actually building a bridge probably there's going to be someone who likes crunching those numbers that'll do those numbers. I'm just like here for the visual part. (laughs) So after I failed calculus twice, I realized perhaps this isn't for me. Huh? Uh, What is calculus? Calculus (laughs) is the... Derivatives? 
It's the numbers that give you curves, basically. So uh, think about, I guess, a, uh, what is it, a, a line graph? Yeah. Um, or maybe not even a line. Yeah, a line graph. Like the time, the what, time versus w- urgency or whatever, like the amount of, the proximity you are to the bathroom on one end and then how much you need to pee on one end and uh-huh. it just goes in a straight line. Okay, right? yeah. Uh, with <laughs> calculus, it's a curve. So, uh, shit, uh, if your car is decelerating or accelerating, I'll, I'll think about decelerating, yeah. It doesn't just... You're not going from like zero to 60 at a steady pace. You're right. going probably zero to 60 and there's like a large push. Got it. Calculus is that is the difference between the push, the large push, and just a steady rate. Okay, that makes that actually no one, no one's ever explained it to me before, but that makes a lot of sense. It actually. makes sense yeah. uh, conceptually. I but do. then when you have to like do 17 <laughs> equations to like get to this thing that matters on paper because it matters to your teacher but uh, like in my life what no one's gonna die if i fail a calculus test unless you're building a bridge right but i wasn't <laughs> so that's why i failed all of those tests <laughs> you need something at stake yes i, I definitely like need to get something at excited stake. about it um, okay so, so you're failing calculus yes yeah, so i'm failing calculus be an engineer um realized that i didn't that i couldn't be an engineer not that i didn't want to it wasn't <laughs> for lack of want um <laughs> was like, all right, cool. Uh, at the time, I was working at a movie theater. So I was like, all right, cool, I'm going to do film. Because, you know, that's what I was doing. Yeah. Um, got into film, realized Georgia State's film program was more of a writing than making films program. And I don't really like reading that much. Huh. So I was like, all right, cool, fuck this. Uh, switched over to photography. Photography turned out to be fine, except limiting still. So I just ended up being like art in general, mm-hmm. studio art. Because I, you know, like a short attention span. Men by short, I mean a semester. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, ooh, uh, sculpture. Ooh, uh, printmaking, you know. So I just kept hopping on from different things to thing. I feel like they do that to you in undergrad, though. Yeah. A, um, especially, a, and maybe it was different, but. I went to a state school and it was like you had to do X amount of classes that you had. You had to try a little bit of everything. Yeah. But there was really no um, spirit of like, oh, I, I do a lot of different things. It was very much like you had to pick. And I remember I arbitrarily picked to like going into my senior year. I was like, well, I'll be a printmaking major mm-hmm. because I had to work on the day that the sculpture classes were <laughs> happening so it was just like printmaking seems fine and that you know i won't have to change my work schedule around at the restaurant so wow. i just that's at how the restaurant <laughs> yeah, i got into that but um and did you and did you feel like you had any kind of like community around you while you were in school or were you just kind of like floating through and trying out different disciplines um yeah, I would say the photo department was that that community. Like one of my best teachers uh, ever, Jill Frank, um, was you know she she taught us a similar thing that I learned in your class in Art Chopped, which was that it's not just about the art that you're making, but how you interact with the community. Mm-hmm. So she took us on field trips, you know, like took us out of class, and I mean taught us the the shit. Yeah, but also like it 
it was very clear from how she interacted with us as a group that, and at, with the community, which she wasn't even from. Like, she moved there from, I think, Chicago. But, you know, had connections, places, would bring in guest lecturers, and it was like, oh, I'm friends with uh, Lucas Blaylock, and would bring him in, you know. And yeah. we were like, oh, okay, cool. I need to actually be thinking about the people who I like their work right now, how to maintain relationships with those people after we're out of school, et cetera. Um, so definitely felt like I had a community, particularly within this photo department. And outside of that, um, outside of that, it uh, was, you know, when I got, when the ADD of switching around classes and majors became too much and I realized I was in school for five years and, you know, racking up debt that I haven't been paying off. <laughs> Um, I was like, all right, Nobody's cool. paying it off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shout out to shout out to Equifax. Um, I realized I wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't serving me in the way that I needed it to. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to take a semester off, figure out what I actually want, and that semester turned into five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think though, if you're in college for the amount of time that it takes someone to get a degree, you know how many kids I know who went to art school who don't have a diploma. Mm. And just say that they have it. Like yeah. there was a serious problem at PNCA where I used to work, where they would let. Uh, I hope they're listening. They would let um, students walk at graduation, even though they were like, you know, they had like a whole math class that they hadn't taken, <laughs> or like they needed to do two more credits. But it just like synced up with their class to yeah. like have them walk, and they didn't give them a. I don't think they gave them a physical diploma, but. You walk across the stage, you shake the president's hand and the provost's hand, and then you go sit down, you celebrate your graduation, and they're like, okay, well, you better, you know, you better <laughs> go to a community college and take a, wow. you better take that math class that you didn't take. And I don't think very many people did. I and wouldn't, I wouldn't I, even have been going to the graduation ceremony. I knew somebody who got into the grad program that I went to who hadn't actually graduated from their undergrad wow. and managed to somehow, like... <laughs> managed to somehow like Photoshop. I don't even know what they did, wow. but because they do ask you for a diploma to like go to a grad program, they're like, we need like official transcripts of these other things, or yeah. maybe they just like dragged it on so long that people could ask. I don't even know, but that's what I need. I'm actually considering going to grad school because I know a particular program that like I want to go to, and I'm like, with what I've done in the past. When did I get to 2012, 13? You should be able to get the life experience thing, right? Like, that's... I've done enough art-related shit to be like, yo, you should let me try to get an MFA. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. UCLA. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you'd be good in LA. Barbara Kruger, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you'd take, like, a duck to water to to Los Angeles. I I love Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. I've admitted that, too, on... um, I've admitted that on here before, too. It's not something you're supposed to say if you're oh, a New Yorker, but I don't really give a shit. Um, but so so when you finish and you are outside and trying to kind of get this other community going, when does your project Low Museum start? And can you unpack that a little bit for anybody who isn't an Atlanta person? Yeah. So when I got out of school, um, I wasn't jaded on art. I was still very excited. And that was 2012. So that year, I dropped out... You know, I took my break spring after the spring semester. And for that six months, I was just like, all right, cool. Let me, like, look around and see what's happening. Moved into a different house. It was, like, like, really shitty, really shitty punk house. Not punks. 
but the house was punk. <laughs> yeah, the house. Was punk. Uh, <laughs> I've been in one, I've been in some of those. Yeah, and so I was just like you know trying to figure out what to do with my life, still making work, but not really showing it because there wasn't any infrastructure for you know kids in college or even coming out of college that wasn't student shows at the uh-huh. college gallery. So that year was the first year I went to Basel, and I was like, oh my god, wow, you know people show digital artwork. Yeah, we didn't see that in Atlanta. You just like road trip to Miami, or or you uh, went to Basel, Switzerland. Um, I went to Hong. You went to Basel. How many of them are there now? I don't know. I guess maybe I shouldn't. I don't fucking care. <laughs> my my mom and grandmother still live in uh, Fort Lauderdale. Oh right, yeah. Because so, you've visited them. Before. Yeah, so I visited yeah, them. Yeah. That was like a double trip. I just flew down to Basel, didn't know anything about Basel. When I got there the first time, I thought that Art Basel was the only convention. Uh-huh. That was like the only fair thank that was you, going on. Thank you for calling it a convention, and I'm serious. I mean, true. That's yeah. <laughs> so for the first two days that I was there, I walked around Art Basel at the Miami Beach Convention Center uh-huh. for eight hours straight every day, just like going to every booth Scoping and spending yeah. Yeah, an accurate amount of art viewing time. Mm-hmm. And one day... I was driving back to Fort Lauderdale with my mom, and we drove, you know, past Wynwood, and I was like, what's going on over Fuck. here? So I was like, mom, just let me out. And, you know, she goes to sleep at 9.30 and, you know, was like, I'm leaving. So I was like, just let me out. I'll figure it out yeah, from yeah. here. Ended up not going to sleep for the next couple of days <laughs> and just, like, being in Wynwood, just out, which was great. And I exposed myself to a lot of stuff um, or was exposed to a lot of stuff. Came back to Atlanta and was like, yo, this I'm I'm kind of disappointed because I'm not seeing this type of art. I'm not seeing the type of art that my cohorts, my friends, people my age at the time were making. I'm not seeing that in galleries. All mm-hmm. I was seeing was like really conservative painting <laughs> sculptures at the High Museum and relatively conservative shit in all of the rest of the galleries yeah. and even the like smaller institution museums. So That in combination with living in this really shitty, dirty uh, mold on the ceiling punk house um, was just like something has to give. So kind of one of the reasons and this is like if any of the the other low museum people are listening because we all lived in this house, the shitty punk house together. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things was like it was really dirty. We had like roommates and one roommate who had like, you know, a dog. And I was like, not, she wasn't really ready to, like, have a dog. Oh, yeah. She's she's great with the dog now, you know. Mm-hmm. And, like, we've all grown up since then. But it was just, like, dog shitting in yeah. multiple people's rooms. One where the dining room is, dog crate, and just random shit. People in bands, mice. It was shitty. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was like, all right, cool. Maybe, like, as a subterfuge, I could, we could have a show in this dining room. And that will be a reason to clean it. Yeah, um, that's cool. <laughs> that show never happened, uh, but we did end up like just moving out of that house. Uh-huh. And so three of the four people that moved out of that house moved into a much nicer house that was a little bit expensive compared to the the shitty punk house. But it was like coming after this mold on the ceiling house. We'll we'll take the high ceiling, you know, like yeah. a little bit out of the price range. And I had a job at the time, so I was just like pulled up to the house meeting with like the deposit in cash. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, all right, cool, we're going to get this. And moving into this house, it was just like, you know, 
12 foot ceilings, big ass <laughs> living room. None of us had any furniture, by the way. Yeah, so, cool. you know, it looked looks like a gallery. Yeah, it looks like a gallery. <laughs> All we have to do is paint it white. You know, I had some, you know, a group of friends at the time who were like, OK, cool, we'll help you paint it. Well, you know, one of them cooked, you know, uh, the woman I was dating at the time was, like, really into the community and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, just got together, a couple of friends, put together a show, you know. Um, and it was, the first show was about, like, kind of art history memes, mm-hmm. like, different kind of tropes that end up being in art history. And it was just, like, digital artwork that me and a lot of the photo kids were making at the at that time. What year was this? This was two thousand and. 12. 2012. 13? 2013. Yeah. Um, I feel like I should say 2013 now because I already said 2012 out loud after you said it, but then you said 2013 and then I just sat here. So I feel like I will repeat (laughs) 2013. May uh, May was when we moved in or June was when we moved in and it was just like, all right, cool. We need to have a show. We need to have a show. And then I just set a date. I was like, July something. I think it was like the 21st or something. Yeah. We have to have a show. I'm going to make an announcement a month in advance. Which That's means- good because then people will be mad at you if you don't do it. So you right. have to do it. Yes. Yeah. So I love deadlines. Yes. Made a deadline. Actually self-imposed. <laughs> uh, painted the place, you know, got together the people, uh, announced it, made these like cute little internet flyers, uh, and then opened the show. And... Atlanta's a really small community, but also very supportive. You know, like we had people come to that show. One of the like kind of eccentric figures around town wrote an article about it on his, you know, architecture blog because the house was also quirky. So he was like, I've been trying to go into this house forever. Whoa, cool. (laughs) Um, uh, This guy, Terry Kearns, who's like, you know... it's weird because there are so many of those characters in New York, mm-hmm. you know, and I know some of them. Like, I, I know some of my friends now. I'm looking like in 20 years, yeah. people are going to have like a thousand pictures of you. Um, shout out to Rafia because she's, <laughs> she's definitely one of those people. Um, but so he's like one of those people. Yeah. Whereas like he, he will like just drive around and like in Atlanta, you can go to everything. He goes to everything. Yeah. And so like. You know, between him writing about it and the community being supportive within, I'd say, a year, people knew who we were. And Mm -hmm. we were just students. At that time, I had dropped out. The other two uh, directors were still in school, but it was just like we popped off. And so the place started as this one from the imperative of we're not seeing a specific type of work. Yeah. A specific demographic and that uh, gap where there's no there's also no venue for it yeah. too besides the work right and that's the same yeah. with music and a lot of other things that people when they just sort of are like well then we have to fucking make it yeah and that's it's always interesting to me here to for me to hear how that happens filmmakers are doing that artists are doing that with galleries and musicians are doing that and it's like comedians are doing that and it's uh it's always like the same story and it's like around the same age and you're just like what the hell there's only it's either like a student like you can perform at the student union yeah or like there's no club or no other place for you to perform so you're just like well i guess we threw a house party and with us there there wasn't even anywhere at all you know it was like all of these people were showing in these you know student shows that didn't really get attention from the art world because they're student shows yeah and and they're and they're always like really hard about like well we don't write about student shows i remember when i heard that for the first time from like 
we sent what we thought was a really nice invitation while we were students to like this like blogger hmm. uh, in Oregon, and we got a thing back that was just like I don't write about student shows. And yeah. We were like, oh, harsh <laughs> man, the world is the world is a vampire. <laughs> yeah. So that um, were you guys showing Friends? Yeah, yeah. the The first show was nothing but you know me and my friends. Yeah. Um, and then. What is it? I'm trying to trying to explain like the the other <laughs> motives. Of, so like it started out as my friends aren't showing, and I'm also not seeing a specific type of work being shown in the city at all. So it was like that, and then a little bit afterwards, um, it became you know about filling in gaps in general. So like, what are we noticing that culturally isn't being talked about? Because I'm still like a nerd, institutional, academic person, and that's where my voice is. One of the other directors was very like uh, politically oriented, very social justice oriented. So we became kind of a place where those kind of conversations could happen. You know, like our second, you know, like six months in, we had a show about whiteness mm-hmm. during Black History Month because <laughs> it was like, you know. We always have this conversation every year it comes up, you know, like, oh, why is there Black History yeah, Month? Yeah. Why isn't it blah, blah, blah? Uh, well, you know, God. the reason why we have Black History Month is because of white supremacy, yeah. and we kind of need to talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, ended up doing a lot of programming around these kind of conversations and filling in the gaps of conversations that aren't happening in the way that they should be happening. And just being a space where, shit, I don't know where we can, like, uh, there's a... Uh, Samuel Shanahoy, a filmmaker who does like uh, porn, among other things. Oh, yeah. uh, Is in town from Australia. You know, where can we have a porn screening? Uh Check out the Low Museum, you know. And like, you know, uh, the other director, Theodore, put that together. That's cool. And so it was like we ended up getting this reputation for being a place where you could have the conversations Mm -hmm. or programming that like you couldn't have at other spaces. Yeah, and it seems like just the... There's something about the element of it being in a home, too, Mm -hmm. that just has a really different feel. A lot of people did not know that it was a home. Did they think it was like a staged home, like an arrested development? Or did they... (laughs) They thought... so. It was just a weird enough building that... The house... Yeah, it was a house. And, you know, in Atlanta, houses are disconnected. I don't know if you... uh, you're not from New York. <laughs> so. No, but I I have always imagined that I guess I'm guessing that Atlanta probably doesn't look dissimilar in the spacing between homes as like maybe Arizona or something or like parts of Texas, but I could be totally wrong. There's probably you know there's space between houses. Um even when you get into the city there's still like space between buildings and shit. There's uh-huh. not too much of a dense like urban Atlanta. Um, and we lived like, you know, a mile from the city center and still it was like houses. Yeah. And so our house was a triplex, like a beautiful, for some reason, stuccoed triplex in Atlanta's Old Fourth Ward. And so we had like our unit, there was a unit on top of us and a unit in the back. People always thought that we lived on top and that the whole bottom downstairs oh. was the gallery okay. and like offices or whatever. <laughs> offices, cool. Um, technically, the gallery was our living room. And, you know, the ba- there was a bathroom that went right next to my room. Then there was a kitchen and then there was a back. And then there was like two other rooms where the other directors lived. Um, and people just like kind of never knew that, which was, I guess, weird, funny, uh, appropriate. There was many times <laughs> for like the porno show. We had, a, we had a pornography exhibition where one of the installations were was things that people had 
masturbated with. Non non sex toys that people had masturbated oh, with. Oh, like DIY shit. DIY sex God, toys. God, yes. I remember being like fourteen and trying some of those out. Yeah. Yeah. Made some mistakes. Um my mistake. Well, I guess it wasn't a mistake. Um, so one of the installations was that, and so we're m- making these things. That's a really fuck. That's a really good installation. It was good. I still have <laughs> pictures of it, and I'm very proud. It was a collaboration between myself and Theo McClee, I would who's very one much of the like other directors. Um, so I was like, okay, cool. Uh, I haven't actually used any of these things. Let me use one of these things <laughs> just on the fly. So I'm. Uh, There's no, no delicate way to put this. <laughs> I have a, a brush handle in my ass. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, just like, you know, trying it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I get a, do- a ring on the doorbell from one of the artists, who's a professor, <coughs> mind you, <laughs> at, a, at a different college, but you know, they, dropping off his work. Well, you probably really gave them an immersive experience, you know. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling the story wrong. It wasn't a doorbell. It was... The door being opened. Oh, yeah. Somebody's just coming in. Yeah. So I'm in my room and I'm like, what the fuck? Because people obviously assume that this is a gallery. They mm-hmm. can just walk in. Yeah. Um, and that it's not someone's house where, you know, I might be masturbating, <laughs> which I was. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, shit. Um, let me let me get out of the office or whatever the fuck. Yeah. He was cool about it. Um, but, yeah, a lot of shit like that ended up happening you know like openings where you know we were very unprofessional in that you know the first opening didn't open until 15 minutes after seven o'clock where it was supposed to because certain shit wasn't on the walls yeah well that's you know that's i've i've gone on accident to spaces when i was just like oh i happen to be in the lower east side Mm -hmm. and you know, I, I feel like I don't get to go look at uh, shows like leisurely sometimes. So I'll just like pop in, but I won't realize that it is a, it is a Thursday and the shows are opening that night, mm. but it's like 520. Yeah. The show's supposed to open at six and there are people painting things. Yeah. And they're just like, we're not open yet. And I'm like, all right. I mean, we've had show, we had shows Truly where the artist run, <laughs> you know, the director's the program director's bedroom, they had to walk from the bathroom through the kitchen to get to their bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so, like, shows open, people are inside, and the program director walks out in a towel from the shower, <laughs> you know, to their bedroom. And, you know, like, it was cool. Um, no regrets on that front. I forget what where I was going with the initial story about this. this rather. <laughs> I think I was just mentioning something about the fact of it being like a residence yeah. has this different type of um, resonance. <laughs> but I think really, though, that there have been spaces that I've been to like that over the years that I really responded to a lot because it was just a different thing. It was very much like going to um, somebody's house show for like... to you know, see music or something like that. But yeah. to go to somebody's space, like those boys who run uh, American Medium, mm-hmm. you know, they had appendix in Portland and mm-hmm. it was their garage, but their home was opened up during it. And, you, yeah. you know, you could go inside and use the restroom. They would have some food out and stuff like that. And it was just this kind of different thing where you understood that everybody was uh, sort of coming together for like communion or yeah. something. And, and it was just a... It was just a different vibe where you, like, hung out longer, too. Mm. That was a problem. <laughs> that um, can be, yeah. It can be a problem. You gotta go it, home. 
sometimes it's good because you know, like your they're your friends. What's well, nice when people like people it, just like it's nice linger. when people don't dip in and dip out. But yeah, when it's your home and you're yeah. like, okay, this was you know, we did put seven to nine on the event. Yeah. And <laughs> so speaking of the early thing, you know, I have one of my best friends in Atlanta, Chris Hollis Wood. He worked a couple of blocks away, and he would get off of work at five. But our shows didn't open until seven, so he would always come after he got off of work. Yeah. Which I love this guy, but. If it's six o'clock, I'm still painting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, you're stressing the fuck out. Um, and so like that, it wasn't a problem, but it was just like I can't, I can't engage with you as my friend, you know, because I'm still like doing this shit. Chris sounds like he has a. I have that problem a lot where right. I am kind of around somewhere, and I'm like, oh, I don't really know what to do for like ninety minutes. Yeah, and I and I, because I'm always early, and I feel like I'm supposed to. Uh, I want to go to it, but then I get really terrified about sitting by myself, mm. and then I'm pretty sure my phone will die. Well, you just drink. And then I won't know what to do. <laughs> well, what if you show up and they're like, well, you know, you shouldn't be here, so you can't have a beer yet. Damn. I I was always drinking before the shows. Oh, that's good. That was, yeah. So that was my thing. Um, well, Chris, the, if you ever come to New York, I don't know if you still live in Atlanta, but um, let's go to some shit early together. We'll <laughs> <laughs> y'all, y'all definitely get along. Um so the other thing about the other special thing about it being in our house was that it made the curatorial programmatic vision that much more important because you know there were shows that it felt I felt privileged to have you know like I'm at the end of the day this is my living room yeah it's only a gallery for that seven to ten that we opened our yeah, shows or on. by appointment yeah. <laughs> We had in the three-year run maybe four appointments. <laughs> really, I love to set up appointments. I think they're funny. Um, but yeah, so like we had shows where I would walk through and be like, "Damn, this this yeah. is my living room right now. I get yeah, yeah. to enjoy this art, you know, for the month that it's up." Um, and that was really special about it being in the house because just to have a rotating, you know, yeah. cast of art. I'm sure. Some of the shows, however, were really awful, and not some of them. There was one show in particular that kind of just happened as a result of, like, an email that wasn't responded to with a definite no. So oh. it just kind of ended up being one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, cool, yeah, we're in. Uh-huh. And, you know, the, this wasn't my fault. But it just <laughs> ended up happening to be a show that happened because of, like, some uh, – um, unenthusiastic non-consent sure um yes and so like that show was up and i was like what the fuck are we doing fortunately (laughs) it was one of the the first shows that we had and literally one person showed up Mm. but we also got paid for it which you know was good so i don't know they paid you to hang up their art no so in atlanta this is this is more difference than in Atlanta to New York things. In Atlanta, uh, when you have a gallery, a lot of our galleries, or our gallery specifically, let's talk about mine. Um, our almost our entire budget came from alcohol sales. Oh, cool! So people would come in, and you know, you'd buy a two dollar wine or beer or whatever. <laughs> um, I thought and that was so, apropos. since our our. Uh, our rent was already part of our living rent. It was just like, all right, cool. We don't we don't have really an overhead. Yeah. All we have to buy is like paint and mm-hmm. a website domain for however long. Yeah. So buy you know the we would buy a 
a case or two of Trader Joe's Simpler wine. times? Oh, they yeah. got that beer. No, that $3, that two-buck chuck. Why is it called two-buck chuck when it costs $3? Um, Maybe it used to cost $2. I think that's an Obama thing. I he, think Obama. It's his yeah. fault. Yeah. yeah. Blame Obama. Great. Fucking, of course. Thanks, Obama. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely uh, job. <laughs> no, so we'd buy like a case or two of that two buck chuck, you know, and sell it for $2. People, you know, reasonable people would buy that. And that's how we funded all of our shit. But with this particular show, they, they brought the two cases of wine and then one person showed up. <laughs> One, because the show was terrible, but also because, like, we didn't really know how to promote, you know, like, a show at, at the time. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't, like, it wasn't people that we necessarily fucked with. Mm. And so I was, like, over it. I also had, there was a, a, a friend of mine who was showing that same weekend who had a show that I wanted to have. But we just didn't. So I was like so over it. And I was glad that nobody came. And then it just turned out to be like, oh, <laughs> bless you. Now the rest of our program is financed because they they bought the wine for our next two shows. That's cool. That's Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so it worked out in that way. But nice. It was just like really terrible to stand around with the two artists, their significant others, and then the one other person who was a friend of ours um, just you know, kind of awkwardly not talking about how bad the show was. Hmm. Well, that's, you know, I don't know. That seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to have happened once, though. Um, yeah. But I was going to ask you, too, about this idea that you're talking about of creating conversations and things like that, that you're sort of noticing not only lacking in art, but in, uh, you know, the discourse in general. Mm-hmm. And it's it's always seemed to me in conversations that part of what, your practices is bringing those things forward in a way that's just kind of like, I'm going to present this as it is. Yeah. And I don't mean like you got to buy it as is because something's broken. I mean like, no, I'm just going to say this quite plainly and like we're all dancing around this. And I think that um, I'm interested in hearing a little bit about the work that you've been making recently and for people who are listening, who haven't uh, seen your stuff before and you've been, Working on these, and correct me if I'm wrong if you've sort of switched gears, but these pieces that sort of hybridize sports culture and BDSM mm-hmm. into these kind of objects that seem like they have a lot to do with kind of maleness. Yes. And the sort of, you know, kind of haha, we're laughing funny story earlier because you put a, you know, toilet brush up your ass or whatever it was or something like that. It was but a the, hairbrush. Hairbrush. <laughs> but the, there was a toilet brush in that installation, <laughs> but that's not the thing I chose. But so. But it seems like in, you know, one of the pieces in particular, just, you know, because anecdotally from that story, there's like the, um, you have like the Benoit Balls one. That yes. is like, it begins with a, what is the, the. So, yeah, is it the, the anal ball? bead piece, there's a, yeah, there's a foosball. Foosball. Foosball, golf ball, mm-hmm. uh, billiard cue, lacrosse ball, tennis. <laughs> no, not tennis, baseball. Baseball, yeah. yeah. With um, a big old ring on the end. Yes. And so what's this, um, I mean, you know. I don't think it's like terribly opaque or something, but what is, you know, what are you bringing to the table with this? It's different than simply talking about like, um, you know, we did the show during Black History Month that is about whiteness, which is like a necessary and really valid critique to be bringing. This is a little bit more like, what the fuck? Like there's a little more of a roundabout, even though I think it's like, we've talked enough about it that I'm pretty clear on it. But yeah. Um, so for me, like I grew up straight 
and you know my dad being like really hyper masculine uh, and not really just hypermasculine in the way that some dads are like, you're going to play sports, son, and we're never going never gonna to cry or whatever. But it was just kind of like a default setting. It was never really talked about. Uh, that's just some background about me personally. Um, but the way that I like to approach conversations or even like conceptual art is from a perspective or – like, I want you to look at an object and immediately understand what it is mm-hmm. and then then actually have to interrogate it afterwards. So, you know, I, I still like really simple art. I love Jeff Koontz. You know, the, the pureness of walking by a 20-foot balloon dog metallic sculpture <clears throat> is not lost on me. And I don't think it ever will be. Mm-hmm. Even if I can say that it's, like, really vapid and, like, not really, you know, like, the super smart thing. Sure. I do admire the audacity of it, though. Yeah. As always, <laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is. And there's something charming in that, I think, in right. its own way. <laughs> so, l- understanding the, the visual culture of, like, just having appeal... Um, is something that I try to work with. So I want to reach you on a level, or the viewer, on a level that they already implicitly understand. And if I'm talking to straight men, you know, I want to get you on something that you already get. And then when you go, oh, that's a cool object, I know what this is, and then you go, oh, wait, I didn't really think about this in relation to that. So that whole... Uh, thread of work that whole series started with a photoshop image that was a gag ball but i just photoshopped a golf ball a nike golf ball Mm -hmm. into instead of the gag and it was like that was the departure so like you already know what a golf ball is you already know the connotations of golf and like this hierarchy Mm -hmm. the classism you know racism etc and just putting that in conjunction with the other power dynamics, the very explicit and consensual power dynamics yeah, yeah. that happen inside of BDSM. So, and that, you know, people loved that shit because uh, I got BDSM is cool. Hence the, the, the post-internet art <laughs> bingo meme. But it seems too, though, like when you were in, I imagine that maybe it's lost on some people who maybe haven't if they encounter one of your objects individually as opposed to like thinking of it in this larger body of work is it has always seemed to me like part of the rub of what you're doing with that stuff is kind of very much poking at this kind of probably around like 2013, 2014, like this flash of internet art that was going out that was very much about like sports and like adopting this kind of thing that was like, meant to be ironic by saying you know everything is so corporate that we can't escape it let's just use these whatever but the sort of subconscious of all of that was like it was a bunch of straight white guys making yeah it was sort of i guess a little bit more like things going on on tumblr and yeah. stuff like a lot of the aesthetic that was happening on the jogging was coming out that uh you know it was doing these things and it was playful and it was fun or whatever but it was also like really you know, with a little bit of distance looking at it, it was like, yeah, it clearly was just a bunch of dudes who grew up playing sports who were yeah. like, isn't this crazy that I use some sports things or something? But there's like a hyper-masculinity in it. Yeah. So as soon as you put it into the context of like, yeah, but you might be getting your ass paddled or right. like your balls pulled. Uh, because <laughs> in my opinion, you know, like those those power relationships are the same. 
Um, and that's that's the whole point of the project is that the power relationships, the behaviors, and then sometimes even, and that's where I come in, the objects themselves are very much the same. You know, like how we, you know, strap ourselves into like a football suit. And it's yeah. like, you know, literally the... the 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 lacing of a a flak jacket you yeah, know, yeah is similar to the lacing when you like do you know rope you know rope work um so one i was interested in that because i'm just interested in bdsm in general and coming from that angle from my own personal interest in bdsm being like Yo, BDSM is really steampunk. Like, I need an update. <laughs> I, I don't need it to be chains and whips because that's <coughs> oh, not my shit. aesthetic, you know? Wow. That just fucked me up. Yeah, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's... I guess I... I think I've aesthetically associated uh, so much with what with what it is mm. that until you just said that, I was like, oh, God, those devices are kind of like... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this kind of like, <laughs> it's cool because I, you know, I empathize or I relate to the behavior and the like kind of philosophies and whatever behind it, the ethos. But I, it's just, it's ugly. Most of it's ugly mm-hmm. in the way that like, I don't, you know, I get, that's not my aesthetic. So my aesthetic, going back to health goth, that's, that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it started off as, you know, like a departure from the this, this steampunk aesthetic and BDSM and then also became this kind of conceptual investigation of what it means to have this uh, sport aesthetic that is particularly and specifically the power dynamic is desexualized, de, uh, depoliticized, you know, we still have this coach figure that you want to please in the same way that you want to mm-hmm. please your dom you know like all of the, the pushing your body to the limits for this person for this cause that you know you're loyal to all of these like uh, behaviors and um and uh themes are very similar but you would probably never have that kind and or intimacy, you know, yeah. like the bond that is specifically between a group of male football players yeah, yeah. that would never be considered sexual. And, you know, like at the same time, it was like, well, we're going to have the first openly gay football player. And I was like, really? I mean, openly, sure. But like <laughs> the thousand, the, the millions of people that have played in the NFL and like how many of them have just been closeted. So... It's 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 one of those things where it's like weird to me that we don't talk about, um, and also then it becomes you know like oh that's why it's toxic because we get to be able to be like all right cool I'm gonna slap this man's ass on the field but if I was to do that in any other like if, or I'm gonna hug or I'm gonna cry when the when we win the championship or lose the championship or yeah. whatever but I'm not allowed to do those things in my regular life. <clears throat> I'm not allowed to be intimate with other men Mm -hmm. uh, outside of sports. I'm not allowed to engage with their bodies outside of sports. You know, Barbara Barbara Kruger has a a good piece about this. So, I mean, that's basically where it comes from in trying trying to hook people in with the immediately recognizable uh, iconography of, say, a Nike golf ball. And then they go, oh, I recognize that thing. And then 
putting in the gall- the gag ball. And they're like, I, I know what that is, but how does it relate? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Let me pull, peel all these layers back. And then, you know, you get the, the ass beads. Yeah. I want, and I'm not done with this, obviously, but I want to create this narrative where someone walks into an exhibition because it looks like a store and you have this desire for this, uh, this uh, picture, this tenet of masculinity that is something that we are taught to want. And then you get to peel off these layers of what that means or like the objects. And then by the end, you know, you're left with something that doesn't resemble that initial golf ball or Nike at all, but is now you you got sucked in, you know. Um, that's that's kind of where I'm going with that. Do you think that that sort of the way that you're describing this allure and this familiarity and then these multi layers as someone kind of processes what they're looking at and thinking about? Do you feel like that's intrinsically linked to your interest in memes? And yes. the way that, okay. Uh, I, and I wanted to ask you too, and this is just before I forget, because I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, does does a meme have to be funny? No. Okay. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll go hard on the memes. Okay, cool. Okay. I am a hotel in Ireland, and I am asking the right fucking questions. I am an Irish hotel that asks questions that are right. Imagine laying awake at night in your tiny bed. A leprechaun appears out of the ether and demands that you ask him a little. What do you do? It is time to ask the right fucking question or this little man is going to shred your ass limb from limb. The two of you do a mental tango. He stares into your soul. You want to weep. But you will not allow yourself to be minimized in front of this heinous and drunk screedler. Do you have a pen and paper out right now, dear listener? Good. Jot down exactly what the riddle you're going to ask him is. Then tweet it at the humor and the abject Twitter account. We will review them to see who lives. And who dies. Hell yeah, baby. Welcome to Hospitality, Ireland. Population, your raggedy ass. The pop has popped. Cool. Um, so okay, we're back from break. Yeah. Felt like we were about to talk memes. Yes, I'm ready to talk memes. That's that's what I came here to talk about, uh, or not memes, but humor in general. So yeah. the question that you asked is, do memes have to be funny? I don't think so, but I think that the structure of how humor interacts with meme culture, particularly in 2017 and maybe like for the past couple of years, um, kind of says more about how we interact with comedy and the importance of humor in comedy uh, or the importance of humor slash criticality in comedy in that I believe and I like comedy as an artist I don't consider myself a comedian even though I make funny memes that comedy the thing that memes do need to be is relatable mm-hmm. and comedy is comedy has probably the most like one-to-one ratio of uh, content to uh, understandable reaction, mm-hmm. which is like laughter. A, yeah, like a, a one-to-one universal just ha-ha-ha. Yeah. Like everybody, people don't laugh in drastically different ways, right? Like right. If you're laughing, you're laughing. 
Right. And so, like, if you're if you're laughing at my joke, then I succeeded that you related to the content of that joke because you understood it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so memes mostly function on that comedic spectrum. I don't think they have to, but the thing that's more, more, um, more important about memes is that they be relatable. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that relation happens via comedy. Yeah. Sometimes it's depression. Yeah. Mediated through comedy. <laughs> <laughs> or like heavy truths, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, even some of the ones that, some of the ones that I've seen you put out that um, I'm kind of, I mean, I guess I laugh, but it's not really like a, it's more of like a laughter of like, oh, he said it. Yeah. You know, or just like, oh, or like a, like yeah. a guffaw, but not in the way where I'm like, it's not like an LOL. I'm just sort of like, it's the same physical response, mm-hmm. but I think a different emotional response. Exactly. That, yeah. Yeah. It's that, a very okay. visceral relation. Because I like burst out, but yeah. it doesn't follow. So like I'm not cracking up. I'll yeah. just be like, oh! <laughs> which is this, like a... this happened a couple of days ago. <laughs> um, the... the the meme the meme du jour is the uh, distracted boyfriend meme. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and the one that I saw, not the one that I sent you the yesterday. The one you sent me was... <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about that one, but um, just for anyone who is not familiar with this meme, or mm. if you're listening to this in like 2025 or some shit. Yeah. In September of 2017, <laughs> the meme was, or and or is, an uh, image of a man walking with his girlfriend down the street and he's turning around to uh, gawk at this other woman. And the girlfriend is very like, and, yeah, oh, come Yeah, on. the girlfriend okay. is, is uh, not pleased with him, visibly. Um, so the one that, that had me with that reaction that was like, not necessarily laughter, but just like, yo! <laughs> uh, the, the guy was... I don't even think he had... Yeah, it was just, like, the guy was me. And mm-hmm. then the the girlfriend, the, like, pissed-off girlfriend was current porn video I'm watching. And then the, the the like, the other woman was, like, related porn videos. Content. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just, like, that, that's me constantly. I'm, like, oh watching one video mm-hmm. and... Like, watch three seconds of that video, scroll down to the ones that are related to it, and I'm like, oh, shit, this looks nice. Like, that one hit me. Um, but since I referenced it, I have to tell, talk about the one that I did send you yesterday. It's fucking unreal. So, uh, it is September 12th, 13th today, which would be two days yeah. ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. was uh, September 11th, and I don't know, I guess we can talk about satire, uh, or humor in general as it relates to, like, current events because that's that's another thing that you know figures a lot in my work and so that meme format you know the guy looking back was you know the plane and then the incredulous girlfriend is a runway and then <coughs> the, the the hot woman is uh the the twin towers which i thought was hilarious just the run yeah i, I think, think i texted you back something about like I couldn't really deal with the personification of a runway, <laughs> like being upset that you didn't land on it. Yeah. Like, speaking of upset, I think people were upset with that meme. I definitely lost probably about a dozen <laughs> followers. I realized that, like, 
uh, I was gaining followers just because of some other shit that was happening mm-hmm. and that my follower count was stacked. It was still the same. Uh-huh. So it was like I gained like 12 yeah, people, yeah. but it was still the same, which is funny. Well, sometimes you got to weed people out, I guess. I guess. I've, I haven't really posted too many like, you know, problematic memes mm-hmm. unless you're like a white supremacist. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... I think memes have to be relatable, and that's the whole reason. Why, that's the whole definition of meme. It's like same, mm-hmm. sameness. Um, so someone has that same feeling or can relate to that same feeling, and that's why they find a particular meme poignant or important or like, you know, good to them. Yeah. Do you think that they allow access points for particular people who? maybe are like afraid to engage in conversation socially about things like white supremacy or about things like rape culture or other things like that, where through this sort of iconography and things, they can like start to access the arguments in a way or something like, cause yeah. they've become um, significantly more niche. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean, mm-hmm. they've gotten like hyper specific in yeah. like what they're critiquing where it used to just be like, you know, like 2000, Nine. It was like, I remember my friend's drawing of a cat became the hipster kitty meme. Mm. And it was just like this. It was like, I don't know. I guess some of them were sort of crass, but it was like, I liked the Chilean miners before they were underground, you know, like just, but it was very like, that's not an innocuous situation, but you know what I mean? It wasn't like addressing these large, it was like just making fun of like hipster dumb or this or that. And now they're like very specific vocabularies and things used multiple ways. And then memes that are like meta critiques of other memes. And and they're allowing these entry points for people to understand things in a way that like maybe looking at this image in their timeline, that would be the same person who would have a fucking meltdown if somebody said the content of it to them in a Facebook comment because they would feel attacked. Yes. Why Why are you dragging me? I'm, I've been on Facebook constantly for the past year. Um, and having those conversations, that's a, a lot of times after... Because I enjoy arguing. Um, You're pretty good at it. Thank you. Yeah. I, I pride myself <laughs> on this. Um, I enjoy arguing, but I don't enjoy, you know, people just kind of spewing off these random facts. You know, like uh, the conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with, you know, a, a friend of mine's cousin. The friend of mine's a white lady. Her cousin is also a white lady who, you know, we got into this conversation argument about some racist shit. And, you know, she un- eventually said something like, oh, well, I guess you would, it, it's different for you and me because you went to college for free because you're black. And I was like, what? Like, oh. how? And then a, a, literally a week after that, somebody published an article that was like, plenty of white people believe that uh, black people go to college for that. free. I... And I was like, oh my god, this is crazy. But generally it doesn't go like that. Generally, I go... Do you go, think that person... Never mind. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just... Does somebody really think that? Plenty of people. Plenty of people. Um, I just mean on like the... I don't mean on the not being racist scale. Hmm. I mean on the like just understanding how capitalism works scale. Where you'd be like, nope, they wouldn't do that. Like, colleges wouldn't do that. They just, you would think. <laughs> I, like, you would have to understand that, like, mm-mm, no, because there's money to be made off everybody. Like, the even curiosity for me comes from, yeah, like, like who, how did that information get <laughs> spread in the first place? But, 
So I have a couple of things to say about memes in general, and particularly how I use memes. So after a lot of those conversations with more reasonable people mm -hmm. that use facts and whatever, but just have differing opinions, mm -hmm. it ends up getting to a point in the conversation where it's a thesis. Mm -hmm. So we argue about A, back and forth, B, A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B, until it gets very, very fine, you know, like this the calculus. Mm -hmm. uh, it gets to this <laughs> fine uh, limit point yeah. where I say something that, you know, uh, just kind of makes sense and that is not really up for debate anymore. An example, I had a Facebook, another white lady who was like, you know, went on this rant about cultural appropriation, dreadlocks, and was like, oh, okay, like... Did you say everybody used to have dreadlocks because we didn't have combs? Yes. Cool. Yes. Uh, everybody <laughs> used to have dreadlocks. Um, if I see a black person who's offended by white people with dreadlocks, I'm going to laugh in their face, etc. Uh, is that the event people want to die on? Eventually, uh, got to the end of this post. It was not It was like a paragraph, and she was like, oh, what are you going to say? Black people invented fire, too? Or black people started fire, too? And I was like, well... Oh, man. Actually, um, this, you know, that's where the humor comes in. So I'm like, all right, cool. Let me just, like, pull up a Wikipedia page, look up where fire was found in the first place. And, like, it, it turns out it was Africa to no one's surprise. Did um, they get upset that you used Wikipedia? Plenty of people got upset that I used <laughs> Wikipedia. Even after I linked to the scholarly oh, article to yeah. which, like, Wikipedia. That's another thing. If I anyone's know. listening, like, if you're... <sighs> People try to throw out uh, your shit based on, oh, it's on Wikipedia because, like, false information could be on Wikipedia. Media literacy. Like, yeah. if you think that it's false, find the source. Yeah, if the source is incredible, yeah, I, like, yeah. you know, whatever. So I harped onto that and I was like, all right, cool. Well, from that one statement, I'm not going to argue with you on the other false shit that you said. But I am going to just point out the fact that Actually, there's, I mean, yeah, black people did invent fire. <laughs> so a lot of my memes come from, like, these, you know, kind of uh, petty truths. Yeah. That, like, you oh, know. Yeah. Well, it's petty images, right, is the, yeah. the branding <laughs> mechanism, which is, I can't believe nobody thought of that before. <laughs> um, so it's like, yeah, I know that you you have this whole uh, worldview or view on this particular subject based on a lot of false information. Mm -hmm. So kind of my meme functions to get to the very core of that information to rebut what you thought was true by just pointing it out in that way. So I don't need, I don't know if I have any other examples for that particularly. But do you think, does that, um, I mean, you've learned to get to that point because of this thing that and people can't see what I'm doing with my hands right now but mm -hmm. earlier you were gesturing that it starts out as this wide thing that's like casting a wide net it gets finer it gets finer it gets finer and then all of a sudden you're both you're on like a thesis point that you're yeah. arguing do you find now that you're able to begin with simply like the visual response to something and that people are are they more receptive or are they like upset I'm, I'm just curious because it seems like my thinking would be that people would just be like Oh, this is like a universal thing because it's a meme. Mm -hmm. So I will just understand it, and it's not—it's not an attack on me, you know. Where people are always like, "I don't understand why you're coming at me." <laughs> yeah, I think people are more receptive to memes. One because it is the thesis statement, yeah. so it's not like you can argue with the truth presented as just that truth. Yeah, um, and it requires them to think about it 
for a while without like a like a text response to that would be insane. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people do it, but to think through the thing, if you don't understand it at first, you would have to really sit with it and think about it, which is a, a very different process taking something in visually than just uh, hammering out a response based right. on what somebody just said to you that you felt like was barbed at you and et cetera. Yeah. So the meme is kind of a, a vehicle to either preempt, avoid, or just kind of smash all of that, you know, you know the, the conversational process, which people would call emotional labor, mm-hmm. of parsing out why what you thought was wrong. Right, because you have I to just, start over again with every single person. Right. I have right. to like be like, oh, why did you believe this? Okay, cool. Why did you think that was the case? <laughs> oh, that happened to also be wrong. Yeah. A, B, and C are wrong, which means D is wrong. Instead, with the meme... Is just presents what is true and the uh, the circumstances around it that make it true, so that you don't. There's not really much to argue with. I'll go back to one that was uh, a Danish Schutz meme. Is it the Get Out one? No, not the Get Out one. <laughs> the Get Out one is probably my favorite, but um, there is one that uh, the Roll Safe. Which, if anyone doesn't know who Rollsafe is, is uh, you know, like g- the guy pointing towards his temple. You know, like think yeah. that gesture. You can't um, get evicted if you yeah don't live anywhere. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so with that one, it was like, well, you know, uh, we wouldn't have to worry about who can and cannot paint black suffering if white people weren't causing black suffering. You know, like, at the core of this issue isn't whether or not Dana Schutz painted. Sure. I mean, it is whether or not Dana Schutz painted Emmett Till. But it's that Emmett Till was lynched because of white supremacy. Yes. If there was no white supremacy in the first place, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't. So, like, it all stems from that. And that's where we need to actually be having this conversation and not about, like, whether or not who owns blah, blah, blah. Well, it's people's individual sensitivities, right? And an inability to fucking understand that a critique of a system of power is not a critique of you as an individual unless you are actively participating in it. And you can just calm down. Like, if you're getting really upset because somebody's like, what you're saying uh, sounds, you know, like white supremacy, and you get upset, it's probably because you're probably committing it, participating in it, benefiting from it. And it's just like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, this is, I, I'm not the person that needs to be explaining this to people, but for the love of God, it's just kind of insane. And, I, and I'm thinking too, as you're talking about this with the way that you're using memes to function to get from point A to point B really, really quickly with this layered philosophical underpinning and like requiring, you're flipping the emotional labor, mm-hmm. which is really interesting, right? Like you're putting the onus on the person who. It's a really clever way to do it because they either have to uh, say they don't understand it, mm-hmm. which they probably won't do. Yeah. Because just, that, mm-mm. Uh, <laughs> or they have to work their ass off to understand the damn thing. And by the time they get to the end of it, like, hopefully they're at a space where they can just be like, do I really need to, like, come back at this or something? And that's what, and I guess maybe that's subconsciously why I was asking earlier if, uh, you know, memes have to be funny. Mm-hmm. And it's like comedy doesn't have to be funny either, actually. Yeah. It's comedy has pretended for a long time. And, it, uh, you know, its function is to 
speak these truths to power to put the onus on the listener to like come to a certain space based on a familiarity a misdirection and then like an aha moment kind yeah. of thing and that's what memes are as you sort of do this circular thing and uh it's interesting though to think that comedy is actually in mainstream capacities very very conservative whereas memes are very well, I mean, there's obviously the alt-right, but I mean, like, the, the memes that we're talking about that are being created are being created by people who are doing the same things as, like, radical comedians would be doing. Yeah. And they're doing it in the spaces where they're, like, they can jump in on so-and-so's cousin's, like, Facebook comment where they're, like, trying to drag one of their friends and just hit, like, reply with an image or something. Right. And just, like, throw a little. <laughs> well, it also <laughs> simplifies the arguments that people are having. So yeah. I... You know, I'm, I don't use Twitter as actively as a lot of other people who make memes even use Twitter. But um, one of the few times that, you know, like I ended up looking at alt-right Twitter uh -huh. was like I made a meme and somebody found it. And some white supremacists found it and were like asking, you know, like it came for me. And I was like, you know, towards the end of that, you know, because I love arguing on Facebook. Yeah. I was like, wait, I don't have to do this. I can just block you guys. So yeah. I blocked them. But not before looking through some of the memes that they were making. And one of them that I saw was like, it was, a, you know, like a picture of a white guy on a construction site. And it was like, it was a motivational poster. This is 2017, mind mm. you. So not, first of all, step, step your meme game up. Their memes are but, not dank. Yeah. So it was a motivational poster with a white guy on a construction site. And it was like, hard work, or as liberals call it, white privilege. And I was like, okay, I would understand if your memes, like, right. the memes that they're making aren't factual, yeah. right? If you, like, understand what people mean when they say white privilege, then you're not applying it uh, correctly to this right. meme. Yeah. Um, I don't think they aim to apply it correctly. And that's, that's the thing. When I'm making memes, I want to reach you. I want you to, it to be irresistible. I want you to, like, that didn't cause me to think about whether or not, um, whether or not they were right. Right. About yeah. what they were saying. No, that's, that's. It wasn't a good argument. Because it wasn't based in any kind of, like, reality. You want something to be beguiling. Am I using that word correctly? Yeah. I want someone to go, okay, but. Ooh, that's how you know, it works. With the, that's with the Dana Schutz thing, yeah, yeah. Like, um, but 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 white people didn't cause black people's suffering. It's like, who, <laughs> why was Emmett Till lynched? You know, like, is there any other reason that Emmett Till was lynched other than no. him being black and uh, uh -huh. Carol Donham being white? Yeah, you know. So it's you know kind of part of it is making arguments, and then the other part of it is just you know reaching people in a relatable form that can actually understand what's going on in that argument. Mm -hmm. Now sometimes it doesn't it doesn't reach. <laughs> I'm sure. But for the most part or not it doesn't reach. It reaches but people disagree. So that's what happens with like the 9/11 meme or one people, of my... people disagree that the plane didn't land on the runway. People I'm disagree. <laughs> People disagree or are offended I understand. when no, you imply I... that 9-11, uh, that the U.S. government would <laughs> murder thousands of its own <laughs> citizens on purpose, you know, which has happened before, but somehow it's like, I don't know. Anyway, um, 
I, I don't put anything past the U.S. government. And I, I find it weird when people do. Like, if you think that, you know, like, no one would do that. Maybe Bush didn't order 9-11 to happen. Yeah. But the fact that it could have happened is 100% plausible to me. Sure. You know, and... the. The other thing is that is very funny, and I guess it's just because it was just September 11th, but the the people who in my life I've seen get the most upset about things about 9-11 are people who don't even like New York. Hmm. Wow. They just don't like that we were attacked kind of thing. I mean, huh. <laughs> you'll, you'll stumble across, not the occasional, but, you know, you know, like New Yorkers will just be like, don't fucking make fun of that, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you're right. I didn't live here. I shouldn't make fun of that. You're right. You like lived through it or whatever. But I don't know. And maybe it's just the people that I gravitate towards. But everybody that I know who grew up in New York, who lived here on 9-11, has some like crazy, hilarious shit to say about it. That yeah. is how they processed it. And also, what other way do you respond to this thing that like, let's be real, not that many people died yeah. versus the the response versus the 1.5 yeah. million people who have died in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think that hysteria is what mm -hmm. feeds like, what the fuck else are you supposed to do with the institution of the war in Afghanistan or the institution of the war in Iraq, mm -hmm. but like laugh in its face Yeah, because there's no other response because you're powerless. Yeah. And it's like, nobody thinks that, people dying in a flaming tower is actually funny like it's not but like it's been almost two decades yeah. and it's just like you look back on this thing and it's like look at all these look at all these policy decisions and things that happened yeah. afterwards and it's like you can do that you can boil the thing down to this one thing where it's just like you can snap somebody really quickly and like throw a thing and they recognize it and it complicates them and it makes all these things happen at one time and it fires up emotions or it yeah. makes them laugh or whatever and it's like yeah, it's a, it's again, it's a visceral response to well, like it. Also, um, I mean, this goes back to a lot of ways in which you know, when you say petty, or when I say petty, um, yeah, I think I didn't, about. I didn't say your things were petty. No, I mean, like that's where that's where petty images come from, and uh, just the idea of being petty on the internet, particularly as a black person, where you know. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was this article about. Um, a white guy with the, you know, like the, the alt-right haircut, the Pidgeotto haircut. Uh -huh. um, and he was like, I had this haircut, but I'm not a white supremacist. And some Antifa came up and stabbed me. Oh, yeah, he cut himself. Is that yeah. And then weeks <laughs> later, it came out that he was lying. <clears throat> and it's like, you know, when that article came out, a friend of mine who's uh, a, a Democrat, <laughs> a, a a self-described Democrat, cool. which which just means like conservative, yeah. <laughs> um, a right of centrist, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, still shares articles about Hillary Clinton constantly. Anyway, slay um, queen. Yeah, <laughs> I hope that book tour is going well. <laughs> um, he shared this article, and you know, my first thought was that's probably not true. I'm not going to put myself out there because I don't have any of the information to back mm -hmm. that up. But whatever. My my black senses were like, this This is probably a farce. Wait, he put the article out because he opposes Antifa because he thinks that they're as bad as the alt. He, he thought that this was a believable story that a guy got stabbed because yes. of his Macklemore haircut. Yes. And that 
Okay, yeah, because they really they're loving this. Like, let's equate. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, man. So <laughs> people who are anti-fascists fucking rule. I mean, somebody has to do some violence. Uh, yeah, break a window. Who yeah, gives a shit? Break, break everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so also the presence of being a the presence of carrying a rebel flag is a is a violence. So if you get punched in the face, like that's your fucking problem. Right. Don't. There are a million signs that I could think of walking around with that I'd probably get fucking punched in the face, and yeah. then like later people <laughs> these are the same people who are like well you know how much did she have to drink yeah and like, exactly what was she wearing and it's like you're walking around with a fucking swastika so this <laughs> this guy um the the i guess the 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 white guy in the story is like you know when he shared the story and this is a black guy by the way just to i don't know if that matters it matters to me but he shares the story. A bunch of other white dudes are like, ha, oh, I have that, you know, like, not haha, but like, I have that haircut and like, now I'm a target. And I'm, me being who I am, I'm just like, oh, what? You mean people are being targeted for violence based on how they wear their, <laughs> you know, how they express their fashion on their body? What a new concept in America yeah. as a black guy who walks <laughs> around with hoodies. And it's just like, so that pettiness is that in the same response to 9-11, the response is disproportionate. If I, if a white yes. person, yeah, yeah, yeah. if one yeah. white guy in Texas gets stabbed in the hand, and even <laughs> if it's true, he gets stabbed in the hand for having a, a haircut of other white supremacists, I don't give a fuck. No. You know? That's a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the cares? bucket. And so that that's the... That's the oh, so he made it up. Yeah. So <laughs> and it, on top of that, he made it up. <laughs> In context of the proportion of violence happening, it's negligible to the point of being funny. Right. That's where my pettiness comes from. Yeah. So when uh, some white person gets stabbed for looking like a, a, a white supremacist, it's like, yeah, welcome to the club. Yeah. That's where 9-11 memes come in hmm. because it's like y'all – the U.S. has been attacked on its own soil once every millennium. Yeah. So, and, like, people tend to give so much of a shit about it. And it's like, if y'all were looking at this as a general, broad, like, worldview. Sure, sure. For the 300 million people that live here. Yeah. It, it's it's negligible. Yeah. Um, and so it becomes this other thing where it's like the, the Langston Hughes quote, laughing laugh to keep from crying if new yorkers you know if you're a firefighter then or if you had a, a you know a parent or a family member or a friend who died in that you know it's like that's real mm -hmm. except there's eight million people that live in the city yeah. you know like uh if if you understand what it's like to have traumatic experiences like as a black person who lives underneath that constantly, right? Yeah, I mean, nine eleven was a isolated incident that doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, uh, have the how many people have the police killed since two thousand one? Right. So it's just like <laughs> for me to laugh at nine eleven or laugh at whatever uh, tragedy befalls a group that has more privilege than me is like people are like, oh, but how could you laugh at that? And it's like because I, I don't care, you mm -hmm. know, like, um, and. The pettiness comes into play when I critically uh, contextualize the disproportionateness of 
that whatever whatever happening. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you got stabbed. Well, guess what? These thirty other people got stabbed for no reason, and it yeah. wasn't even because like people because black men in hoodies are a walking force yeah, to yeah. like oppress other people. <laughs> it's just because there's this perception of danger, yeah. and it has nothing to do with like actual fucking Nazis. Yeah. Um. I forget where I was going. There was one more thing I wanted to say about memes specifically. That, oh, there was a meme that I made in December of 2016 when Andrei Karlov, the Russian ambassador, got shot. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Um, so this was like a media event that, you know, I woke up as Everybody, I did. Everybody's mad at Russia when this happened, right, too? Everybody's mad at Russia still, yeah. which is weird as fuck because, I mean, you, neither one of us are old enough for anything. And if my memory serves me correctly, the Russia has never done any tangible violence on the U.S. I also don't give a fuck if you lost to Donald Trump on your own. It doesn't matter if yeah. fucking Russia did anything. You probably lose to Donald well, Trump. Russia, one, Russia hasn't done anything... In order, like, I can understand from a visceral level why someone who is patriotic might hate Osama bin Laden. I, and ju- even, I, I understand why people think that Russia would try to fuck with an election, too, but it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't, like, it does, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter doesn't, at all. You can't lose to a fucking clown and then be like, well, it's because these bots were tweeting fake news. It's like, you are really bad at politics and very unpopular. But anyways, the Russian diplomat. Yes. Um, <laughs> this Russian diplomat got shot the same week as um, this, this ghastly, you know, like terrible, depressing images from Syria were coming out. Yeah. You know, and he got shot precisely because of Russia's involvement supporting the Assad regime that was perpetrating these terrible, ghastly attacks on the Syrian people. Uh-huh. And so, you know, his death was not one to be mourned. Mm-hmm. His death was a righteous act of revolution. Uh, and people genuinely don't know what that looks like anymore. Oh, In the same not. way where white liberals will quote Martin Luther King or live on Malcolm X Boulevard in 2017. <laughs> but if you say something that resembles what his uh, politics would have been, they're like, oh, that's too extreme. And it's like, is it though? Really? Like, would y'all, have, y'all support trans people, but would you have supported Marsha P. Johnson throwing a brick? Right. That... Uh, Andre Karlov. No, of course they wouldn't. Have. Right, Andre Karlov getting shot. I mean, this happened. Corinne Gaines. She was the spirit of the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck you. Your authority is not legitimate. Uh, you. She got shot by the police over disobeying orders. Not disobeying orders, but like not complying with the state over yeah. what initially was a what a, a traffic violation. Not. Not at all in proportion to a life. No, right? And that's that's the, well, that's the thing that's. So I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I have some kind of like real revolutionary like spirit or something that I'm I'm, I'm doing these. But at the same time, no, I think what you're saying is astute, though, that people don't recognize um, any kind of reactionary revolutionism because people are so. 
afraid of upsetting the status quo of this yeah. sort of like liberal centrist politics where like god forbid somebody gets slugged in the fucking face or somebody get killed but right. like you have to kill people who are like massively oppressing people that's right. like the entire united states like military history is founded on this principle but only if it's carried out by like an executive order by like a nation right. state an and authority. It, yeah. yeah and if it's like an individual then they're fucking crazy but it's like so when this guy got shot and like he got shot on a morning and I woke up that morning and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I saw a friend of mine who makes memes was making memes about it. And I was like, oh, shit, this is fucking hilarious because, you know, oh, I'll get into the to the why it's hilarious part later. But I was like, oh, this guy got shot. You know, I didn't know who he was before that. No, no, I didn't one, know. Nobody who's pretending that they did did. Exactly. Most people didn't. And so, like, I'm like, cool. A guy got shot in a gallery. Me not knowing anything else about the situation, a guy gets shot in a gallery is hilarious just because of art history yeah. and uh, the the nature of like performance. Mm-hmm. Performance. Later that day, a couple of friends of mine who had gotten that news from my memes were like, "How is this funny?" One of my friends who I like respect a lot, a smart a smart woman. Um, was like, how is this funny? And it's not the type, she's not the type of person that I would just be like, ha ha, fuck you. <laughs> you know, yeah. I have friends who did that to other friends on my page who are I'm like, sure. I don't have to explain shit to you. But I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to explain this to you because I respect you enough to level why. Where your position is and where you're coming from. Right. Yeah. I was like, okay, first of all, we don't, like, proportionately, thinking about how we look at violence, I have never in my lifetime, seen a white guy in a suit get shot in HD. <laughs> never has happened. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a picture, uh, other than uh, ISIS pictures, I've never seen what, like actual real violence happen to a white guy in a suit. Hmm. When people get shot and I see it on the internet, it's black people. Mm-hmm. It's black people in the hood. It's black people wherever else. And, you know, it's like people in other countries. But I've never seen a white guy get shot in a suit, let alone a white guy get shot in a suit in a gallery, let alone a white guy get shot in a suit in a gallery during a press conference by a cop, no less. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, with uh, the fact that 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 murder was a politically righteous one, that if we were all sitting back in our computers, going through all of these images of Syria, going, what do we do about this? Oh, my God, this is so terrible. Think of the children, blah, blah, blah. Well, I wish somebody would do something. When somebody does something, and then we go, oh, that's not, we can't celebrate death. And it's like, (laughs) no, fuck, fuck him. (laughs) Fuck Margaret Thatcher. You know, like when she died, (laughs) men, like people, you know, have certain friends who are like like card-carrying communists Uh who are like, let's have a party like dance on her grave and it's like we're supposed to uphold this weird Mm -hmm. ceremonial uh, regard for human life as an absolute yeah what was oh my god I don't know if you know Christian Bailey Mm -hmm. uh, at Hexprax on Twitter but when Nancy Reagan died Mm -hmm. she tweeted out like (laughs) Something so fucking stupid and laced with emojis, you know, that was just like 
Ronald Reagan dead AF, his wife dead to LMAO 100, 100, <laughs> like crying emoji face. And I was like, it was just like, and people were like, come on. And it was just like, the fuck do you like, care yeah. if Nancy Reagan is dead? Yeah. Or Ronald Reagan died a long time ago, guys. He've had plenty of time to process. But it's, who gives it, a fuck? Those it goes people- back to like, there's this, uh, there's an episode of Chappelle show where he goes back in time, the time haters. There's like a oh. bunch of haters and he like shoots a slave master and he was like <laughs> explaining this where was the other slaves and he's like and dressed out in this pimp suit and the slaves are like, when, when's we going to be free? And he's like, how about now-ish? And just shoots the slave master. <laughs> and then like after the thing, he was like, you know, a, a lot of the execs thought that like that wouldn't be funny. Like I'm surprised that you guys laughed and like because people thought it wouldn't be funny to shoot a slave master on television. And I'm like, oh my God. why not? You know, like, why should we not be celebrating the deaths of people who do evil shit? Yeah. Because, again, we have this, like, liberal mind state where it's like, violence is bad. All violence is bad. Except mm-hmm. for violence that's Except sanctioned by the state. Dope uh, by, drone that flies yeah. over, like, a Yemeni wedding or something like right, that. Right, by cops and, and soldiers. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a, a lot of my memes are to get at this this um, very skewed understanding of how we look at certain issues or all issues very much where it's like we're taught that violence is bad and that violence is bad, period. Mm -hmm. Just because we are not the people who have the power to be authorized to use violence. And we never question these things, which is, to me, weird as fuck. Hmm. Like when we say, I I... Uh, you know, I've, I've had multiple people say, like, I don't support violence at all. And I'm like, well, do you do you hate cops? And they're like, no. Why would I hate cops? And I'm like, cops use violence to yeah. impo- enforce the law with violence. So it's like the amount of – and it, it, when I say mental gymnastics, you know, it's like when we have a debate and people walk and jump around mm-hmm. an issue. This is not even mental gymnastics. It's just – propaganda at work you know like it's like you are people are programmed to disregard authorized violence and not think about it as actual violence right yeah and to not a think that they are enfranchised capable of or like permitted to ever do anything like that because x y or z Mm -hmm. and and to perceive anybody i mean it's like so clearly obvious when people like antifa are like they're they're making the democrats look bad it's like they don't fucking care yeah they're perfectly happy to make the democrats look bad they're trying to make everybody look bad like they just want to cause this or that or like if somebody yeah i don't know i mean i think that the i think what is really important that you're talking about that i keep sort of ruminating on is this idea of like looking at disproportion Mm -hmm. and that that's something that maybe would be a nice thing for um some people with a little bit more leverage or power to really think about, but they don't have to. Yeah. Like well, they... it's con- it, that's my whole practice is based on context. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the fact that this apple fell from a tree, but looking at the bigger picture of where, you know, like where's the tree? Where, uh, that's a terrible analogy because it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> you can't see the apple forest for the tree. No, I don't know. <laughs> The apple trees for the forest. Apple trees forest. No, gump. but yeah. not not uh, not allowing everything maybe to be like this 
isolated single thing that is only related right. to like, oh, they, you reacted in this situation. You should have reacted that way because it was with a cop or something like that. Yeah, it's like, why this, not? It's a lot bigger system. Andre Karlov's life matters. Life matters because a human died. <laughs> and it's like, you know, no, it doesn't. You know, in the in the grand scheme of things, I didn't know this guy. I didn't no, know who no, he was. I, I, I have He has no bearing on my life. You know, and quite possibly his death improved the lives of other people. I didn't know about this until today. I wasn't going to start just caring about him. And three, y'all didn't care about it to be outraged until we started making memes. Another thing happened. St. Petersburg got bombed. Uh, a, a, uh, a train station got bombed in a terrorist attack in St. Petersburg earlier in the spring this year. So like a couple of months after Andre Karlov got shot. And Americans did not give a fuck. To my surprise, yeah, I was ready, honestly, to see people like flipping their uh, profile pictures and putting uh-huh, like yeah. Russian flag shit over it. The U.S. media almost didn't report on it, and yeah. nobody gave a shit at all. Well, yeah, those are those people probably weren't wearing suits who got killed. No, <laughs> and it was yeah, it wasn't reported enough. Well, pastiche. Thank you very much for coming on episode 18 of Human the Abject. And it was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks to, for having me, Sean. Yeah, Always to a pleasure. hear uh, more about your work, which I already feel like I know pretty well, but all of the inner workings and thinking about the politics of meme distribution, their relationship to language, not just in image texting, but in this flattening of the space between two minds that i really liked so yeah uh yeah and thanks everybody for listening and we'll see y'all next week